This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. A small city in Massachusetts with fewer than 12,000 public school students has hit the headlines this past month. That's Newton, Massachusetts. Its schools were closed for over two full weeks when the teachers broke the law by walking off the job. Bay State school districts have a duty to bargain. That is to say, you in the state of Massachusetts, you have to engage with in collective bargaining with your teachers. But the union is not allowed to go on strike. So in this case, the issue was money, of course. And uh, but it's sort of interesting because Newton teachers are pretty well paid to begin with. And they wanted a double digit pay increase and they wanted lots of other things as well. And the Newton School Board said they, they didn't have the money. So to explore these questions, I have with me today, Jim Sturgis. He is the director of the Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, Massachusetts, which follows closely state and local politics and policy. It's been around for as long as I've been in the area. and. Uh, and, and has had a huge impact over the years. So thank you, Jim, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Paul, it's a real pleasure to be with you. So Jim, a friend of mine told me that this strike was about nothing. The board offered some pay increases at the very beginning. And what the union got at the end was pretty much what they would have gotten on the first day. So is he right? Uh, he's not far from right. Uh, I think the context of this probably is that the the strike wasn't really just about money, nor was it just about Newton. We can get into that afterwards. But I think if you take a look at compensation, the compensation is um, change in compensation is largely uh, con consists of a question of steps and cost of living adjustments. I'd say on that front, uh, if you go back to just prior to the strike being called, the what was on the table then is not um, significantly different from where they ended up. Uh, if you also take a look at uh, issues around um, staffing, the, I guess what you'd say is the, the union's ability to usurp some of the superintendent's uh, powers over staffing and policy decisions, which they wanted, they didn't get any of that. Uh, I think where the, the place where they got more than what was on the table before is probably in terms of uh, parental and family leave. Uh, there was a, a, a um, an uptick there, but again, there were already proposals prior to the strike that frankly would have been negotiable. Uh, anyone who looked at the differences in terms of the costs, what the uh, the school committee was offering in terms of the amount of money to put towards that. Uh, it was a matter, uh, it wasn't It wasn't a large difference. So I'd say that's largely true, but it points to, I think, the reality of this, which is that it was um, not really that much driven by the Newton School, the Newton uh, Teachers Association in terms of the uh, animosity and energy with which they took on the school committee. It was more driven by the Math Teachers Association. There's a larger uh, strategy there afoot. So in other words, you're saying that it really wasn't the local teachers and the local teacher organization which was driving this strike. It was the 
Massachusetts Teachers Association, the union statewide union, which was telling its local affiliate, you go in there and you sacrifice uh, for the greater good of all teachers in the state, or at least for union power in the state. So what was this larger issue? Yeah, so I wouldn't want to put it that dramatically. There were definitely, I mean, people were animated who were part of the Nietzsche's, the, the Newton Teachers Association. Uh, that said, the way in which they approached going to a strike rather than trying to negotiate to a settlement per our conversation around what was the differential before uh, going to strike and what was the end result, you'd have to say, man, uh, there there had to be a larger agenda foot. And I think the larger agenda is one that is, um, and I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, this is all out in the public. I'm not making any of this, uh, I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm not that creative. It's not a <laughs> hidden agenda, you're saying. It's not, not a hidden agenda. All you have to do is read the newspapers and, and you can yeah. follow this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really is a matter of we've seen over the past four or five years uh, sort of escalating strikes, whether it started in Dedham, Haverhill, Malden, Uber, and Brookline. I mean, it's been going on. And soon we'll see probably Wakefield making. Uh, maybe heading towards a strike soon. And we'll see even more of that coming up. The pressure is that, and the teachers, the Massachusetts Association has not hidden this, they want the right to strike. They've actually gotten legislators to file uh, legislation saying that they should have the right to strike. Put that in the context of uh, 37 states that don't allow that. Put that in the context of New England where only Vermont has that right. And put that perhaps in the context of Pennsylvania, which uh, has the right to strike. and. Uh, really sets the record for the most strikes in a state that you could possibly have. And, and you could see uh, the kind of power that the Teachers Association could um, wrest from that kind of action. Uh, it is also part of putting additional pressure on the political system uh, to make sure that we can move ahead, they can move ahead with scrapping the MCAS as a graduation requirement. It's part of a larger strategy around their partnership with other organizations like this, the Services Employees International Union, uh, they have uh, created over the last 10 years a, a group called Raise Up Massachusetts, and they have a strategy behind what, how they use ballot initiatives to try and change how Massachusetts is run. So it's part of a much larger strategy, and I, I respect it. I'm not trying to say this is all um, um, it's hidden or something nefarious here. They're playing politics and they're playing it hard. Jim, it seems to me this is a great time for the union to advance their agenda. It, the, the state has a Democratic governor for the first time in eight years. It's got an overwhelmingly Democratic legislature. The whole state is uh, mobilized in part because they are so opposed to the likely Republican candidate for president. So this is a, this is a time when unions really should strike, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> so so how, how is this going to work? Are they going to get the right to strike? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, and the reason I don't think so is that uh, we've seen the Speaker of the House, the Senate President, and the Governor all come out against it. Uh, it would open up an enormous can of worms. If the teachers get the right to strike, then you have to ask yourself, why not the police? Why not the firefighters? I mean, remember, this is a... people. Uh, as you think about this issue of the right to strike, uh, you have to think about uh, not categories like who is a an essential worker. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, if you're talking about nurses 
and nurses going on strike. The fact is, there's no reason that there's no uh, distinct and unassailable pub public interest in stopping nurses from striking because even if people are inconvenienced and have to travel a little bit further to go to a different hospital, they have an option. But when you're talking about what is essentially a monopoly system, 90 plus percent of the kids are in these schools and you're mid-year, the parents and the students have no other option. This is very much akin to policing. So if, if the police go on strike, the issue is that we have no alternative. That is, you can't import, you cannot replace police officers. And the same thing is true of the district public school system. So it is a place where you're putting people in an untenable position, putting negotiators in an untenable position. Uh, that's very different from, say, a nurse or other essential workers. So I don't think that the political class here wants to open themselves up for that. What I do think is possible and truly problematic is, and we saw this with how this strike played out, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I think it's it's probably a truism to say that um, when there are local um, problems that need to be negotiated, it's probably much better to have them negotiate them among the locals rather than bring it up to the state level or even a national level. But the Massachusetts Teachers Association, in this case, brought in uh, representatives of the National Education Association to uh, protest, to participate in uh, strike protests. Uh, and then they went to meet with the governor. And uh, all of a sudden, we started hearing about how there may be afoot an attempt to create binding arbitration uh, as a potential solution here, which I think would be a disaster, would have been a disaster for Newton, and not just Newton, for any locality afterwards. We see how that plays out in other areas of government. For example, our largest transit system here in Massachusetts, what we call the Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority, uh, they have binding arbitration. And in essence, the arbitrator frequently, uh, vast majority of cases, uh, is someone who's very, very friendly to the unions. Uh, that, I think, would break the fiscal bank for most localities. It would take the responsibility um, away from local officials to manage their own fiscal affairs. I think that could be a really, really bad outcome. How, how about the citizens of um, Newton? Were they supportive of the teachers? Uh, how about the parents? Did they, did they come to the support of teachers? Did they join the picket lines? Did they say, we want better schools and teachers deserve more money? Or, or what, what happened on the parental side? So, Paul, I think it, it's best maybe to step back uh, uh, on that question and and uh, and just take note of the context. Uh, prior to this uh, negotiation uh, hitting its full stride and ultimately going to a strike, there was an election and the election included an override proposal in Newton. And the, the parents and the community turned it down in large part. That was due to the perception that during COVID, uh, the local teachers union was not uh, perhaps um, uh, as is as interested in it as it should have been in the um, the plight of the students who were at home, and they they were putting off in the minds of many uh, going back to school. But weren't they the last uh, district in the state? I heard this somewhere. I could be wrong, but I heard they were the last district to uh, open up their schools uh, to to students. Is that correct? 
I, one of the last, I don't know if it was the last, Paul, uh, it, it, people were very frustrated. Now, during the strike, uh, there were some people who came out in support of the teachers, um, uh, their, uh, their negotiating position. And there were some who didn't. And I wouldn't know how to disentangle that because there's not good polling on it. What I would say is there were parents who were um, seeking to bring lawsuits uh, to get their kids back into schools. And there was a lot of frustration. I, I, I do have a number of people that I know in Newton and uh, they would share listservs and stuff like that among parents. And there was a lot of frustration. How that came out on a percentage basis, I, I could not give you that, unfortunately. Well, are they going to penalize the union for going on strike? Now, this was an illegal strike. Uh, in the past, I mean, I can remember the famous police strike of, uh, I, what was it, 1919 uh, in Massachusetts, where uh, every police person was fired uh, and uh, they never got the jobs back. Uh, right. Now, I'm not expecting every teacher to be fired, but a lot of uh, places where teachers have gone on strike illegally, the union has been fined and fined seriously. So yep. is that in the offing? Um, that was part of this. In fact, it went to a superior court judge who was overseeing the negotiations at a certain point because they were they were stuck. And of course, this was a legal issue. It is illegal in Massachusetts to strike. And the uh, judge was um, he was um, uh, requiring a escalating fines uh, to be paid by the union and then stopped at a certain point, I think probably inadvisedly. Uh, because he thought that maybe he was putting too much pressure on them and not enough on the school committee to negotiate in good faith. Um, and then he relaxed those fines. Ultimately, I believe those fines have been or will be uh, disposed in the following way. I think they'll help to defray some of the costs that the city incurred because of the strike. And, and trying they're just trying to get to a, a fine. They were, as part of the, they're trying to support the deal that ultimately has been uh, settled upon. So um, that is a key issue here. I think there are a number of different lessons here, Paul. Uh, one is that the courts have to do their job. And uh, whether that is establishing escalating fines, uh, or it is you could also jail officials of the union, uh, that is a harsh thing to do, but it is also something that's within the law. Um, there's also What's surprising about this strike, Paul, is that a number of our U.S. representatives and senators decided to jump into the fray and say we support one side or another. They supported the, the teachers union. Um, the state senator and representatives didn't say a peep. They basically said, you know, Newton City government up to you to figure this out. We're not going to fight on this one. Uh, that doesn't happen that often. Most of these cases, the state representatives and senators will come on and say, listen, you guys better start behaving. We need to get the kids back to school. I think that was kind of disappointing to all of us who look at this stuff. Um, and I guess the, the thing that made it especially hard in terms of a, a lesson here is um, there's got to be some way to keep these negotiations local because if you're going to see someone in uh, in line at the grocery store uh, and you're arguing over money, uh, you're probably going to get to a, a a deal faster than you are if people start importing people from outside and it becomes a, a bit of a clown show. So uh, those are probably some of the lessons here uh, that I think need to be learned. This is going to be much more of this, Paul, much, much more. 
Well, other larger issues that are shaping the relationships between the board and the union, is there a decline in student enrollment? Are people leaving Newton? Uh, are they losing students to the private sector or to homeschooling? That's been happening around the country, but I don't know if it's happening in Newton or not. Do you have any information on that? You know, certainly there was a, a, a steep decline in enrollment uh, during COVID. Uh, those who had means got out. Uh, there were, you know, a number of uh, clusters of pods and homeschooling situations that popped up. But Newton does have quite good schools. And as they opened up, things are going back to normal. Uh, I would say that I, I live in Brookline, Massachusetts, and we had a steeper decline. We've not seen the re-enrollment levels that we've seen in Newton. So um, I think, uh, again, they're by far the biggest provider, that is the district schools are by far the biggest provider of education in Newton. And as a community, they are pretty committed to the district school system. Well, you mentioned Brookline and you're from Brookline and, and Brookline is what the union talked about. They said the teachers in Brookline are making more money than we are. So are the Newton teachers uh, poorly paid? They, before the strike, the average pay was $93,000. Uh, put that in the context also of some pretty rich benefits um, in terms of health benefits, dental benefits. Um, the uh, the big benefit that Newton really wanted to get, and frankly, from the perspective of recruitment and retention probably was important, was uh, parental uh, and family leave. They wanted to get in a par with other folks. I think that made sense. Um but uh, no, they're certainly not poorly paid at all. I mean, you're spending something on the order of $30,000 in Newton per student. Uh, and so the given that pay is the majority of what um, the, the, the biggest uh, component part of that expenditure, fairly well paid. I would say there is among paraprofessionals and folks like that, the pay was um, probably not as competitive as it could have been. It's, uh, if you will, for my money, uh, more work should have been done um, the work to be done would have been related to the paraprofessionals. And of course, everybody always wants to get paid more. But if you think about it, they have sort of a about half the teachers get an escalator, about 4% just through steps. And then there's uh, ultimately here almost a 13% cost of living adjustment over four years. So um, they got quite a, a hike here. Yeah. So how about chronic absenteeism? There's a lot of talk about this among students, but how about teachers? Do we have any data on what's happened to teacher absenteeism? I've heard reports that elsewhere it's gone up substantially since the pandemic. Uh, did this emerge as an issue or is there any discussion as to what's happening to the frequency with which teachers don't show up to work? Yeah, I, in, in Newton, I don't know. Um, we have heard uh, I would say anecdotally that that is becoming something of an issue, but it's not even remotely close to the student chronic absenteeism, which is remarkably high and remarkably high, especially in places, yep, like Boston, other places like that, but also even um, in um, in districts that are, are wealthy districts. So uh, that is, I think, one of the top issues for the Commissioner of Education in Massachusetts, and frankly, not just in Massachusetts, that's a nationwide phenomenon. I would say tied to that is behavioral issues, especially in grades uh, one through five are, are um, well beyond what they were prior to the pandemic. 
So given the backlash, or I think it's about, I mean, just reading the news media, I don't see the same support for teachers that I often get when there's a strike going on. Uh, didn't see that in this case. But so given the backlash politically at the state level, uh, and maybe among the public as a whole, is are there going to be strikes in the future in other districts, or is the union going to decide it's best to lay low for a while? You know, that's a great question, Paul. I'd say this: I don't think they're going to lay low for a while. I think the um, the leadership of the Mass Teachers Association is pretty militant. Uh, it's not terribly different from. Uh, some of the, the the rump groups of the Chicago Teachers Union, um, which is pretty radicalized. Uh, so the one thing that could dissuade them from being uh, as aggressive or more aggressive in the coming months is the question that's before the voters this fall, which is related to getting rid of the standardized tests that we use here in Massachusetts, the so-called MCAS as a graduation requirement. I don't think that the teachers union will want to put that, winning that at risk. The polling on that is probably not as good as the teachers association had hoped for in the beginning. Um, and uh, that is, um, that's a battle that they've, they've wanted to win for a long time. Look, the, the, the wonderful thing about the Mass Teachers Association is that they do not hide what they're about. They have for the last 15 years been saying the same things we want to get rid of the test. We want to have the right to strike. We want to get paid more. We want to have much more impact on the fiscal policies of the state and the localities. There's there's no hidden agenda. So I don't think they would want to sacrifice that MCAS related portion of the agenda, but we'll have to see. Well, this is, of course, uh, one of the Massachusetts uh, pride and joy is their accountability system. Years ago, they put into place uh, this uh, uh, idea of uh, holding um, schools accountable even before the federal government put into place No Child Left Behind. And in fact, Massachusetts was the model for No Child Left Behind in many respects. And this was a bipartisan coalition that put it together. The Democrats are at least as involved as the Republicans. So uh, this would be a huge change in accountability uh, is the public really ready to back up? You know, and then Massachusetts moved into the number one place in the whole United States in terms of student performance. Is Massachusetts really ready to give that up? Um, I'd say that if you ask people what they what uh, the MCAS actually was, they really couldn't define it. I think uh, folks in the policy world often assume that everyone kind of thinks about the same things they think about, but. Um, that's especially true if you think about the percentage of families that have children in schools. Um, I would say that the union has done a um, um, somewhat dishonest job, but an effective job at uh, destroying the brand of the MCAS. Uh, we we uh, did a bit of polling around this question, Paul. And if you ask um, Massachusetts Democrats uh, in, uh, unenrolled and um, and Republicans, what they think of the idea of having every student pass a 10th grade assessment in order to graduate from high school. Uh, Democrats, by a large majority, are supportive. 
unenrolled are even more supportive and Republicans are very, very supportive. We're talking about in the 60 to 80 percent range, which is very high in these sorts of polls. But if you just say it means teaching to the test and repeat that over and over again, uh, people don't want that. So um, I think the the uh, the issue for those folks who want to win on this, they'll just keep hanging on the words MCAS, which they've kind of spoiled. And I think it's the 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 uh, they don't have a, a large margin here. They can't lose that that much. And I think it's really incumbent on those people who care about this issue to push that latter message, which is this is not a very high bar. What we're trying to do is make sure that every kid uh, has at least a baseline of knowledge when he or she comes out. Well, Jim, thank you very much. You clarified a lot of questions that were on my mind about this uh, development in Newton, uh, Massachusetts. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insights and your comments and your thoughts about this uh, larger, uh, about the larger context in which this strike occurred. So thank you very much for joining me on the Education Exchange. Paul, thanks for having me. Nice to see you. I've been speaking with Jim Sturgis, Executive Director of the Pioneer Institute, a think tank that focuses on state and local government policy, especially in Massachusetts. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.